what really is the future of artificial intelligence? Today, we're joined by a Silicon Valley VC who will talk about what companies she funds and why, and about her partnership with an outsourced accounting and CFO firm that helps her portfolio companies attract capital and grow. Welcome back to another edition of The Angel Nest, where real angel investors and entrepreneurs partner to build great companies. I'm David Hemingway. I'm a five-time founder and now an active angel investor. And my mission here is to tell the stories that are powering innovation. Today, we're joined by Johnny Walker of Ruled, a California-based outsourced accounting, consulting, and on-demand CFO service that operates all over the U.S. And we're delighted to also be talking with his client, Jocelyn Goldfein, Managing Director of Zeta Venture Partners. They invest in AI startups with B2B business models. Welcome to you both, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, David. Johnny, it sounds like you and Jocelyn have collaborated on several of her portfolio companies. How did you two get started? Thank you very much, David. So yes, Justin and I first met some, uh, I think, four or five years ago when we had the opportunity to work with Finite State, one of Jocelyn's portfolio companies. And we worked with Matt Wickhouse, the CEO. We did all the accounting and all the CFO uh, support for him as he grew his business from Series C through uh, Series B. So a fantastic experience early on. And uh, we've been very fortunate to remain uh, in contact with Jocelyn and have the opportunity to work with more of her portfolio as time has progressed. So, Jocelyn, it seems to me that you have done what every investor tries to do, which is that you found the next big thing. <laughs> but, but you found it early enough, so now that it's here, uh, you're, you're an expert and know what's happening in the market. What, what, what is the real state of the market, and what are you folks investing in? Oof. When, uh, when do you plan to post this podcast? We may be out of date uh, <laughs> by the time it goes live. Happening uh, that fast, huh? really fast at AI right now. Yeah. And... AI has been evolving gradually, but my firm's been focused exclusively on AI-powered startups for the last 10 years since it was founded. I joined the firm six years ago because I also believed in the power of AI. And probably kind of my lucky break in kind of realizing the potential of the technology was that uh, I was an engineer, actually, my entire career before I came to venture six years ago. And I had worked mainly in startups. And then the startup I joined in 2003 was VMware, and uh, it took off like a rocket ship, and I got to build some of the underpinnings of modern cloud infrastructure. So I was very focused on, you know, deep system stuff and really not looking around at, at AI very much at all. But then in 2010, I joined Facebook. And in 2010, Facebook was one of just a handful of companies that was really using machine learning in production at scale. And there weren't that many companies who could make it work at that point in time because it just required a ton of data and relatively rare talent and then, you know, deep pockets for the compute and, and storage side of it. But Facebook had all those ingredients. And machine learning had gone from something that was pretty academic AI technique. I mean, AI is a broad discipline with lots of different, um, you know, areas. And, and machine learning existed when I studied computer science in the 90s. But it was considered kind of impractical. And you could only use it for toy problems because of the, the amount of storage and compute it needed. Ironically, the work I'd done at VMware to bring the cloud into being really brought down the cost of compute and storage to make machine learning viable. So that was the first, first breakthrough for machine learning. And when I arrived at Facebook in 2010, machine learning was already in use in production. It was being used for ads matching, and it was being used for search results ranking. But we knew that we wanted to use it for sorting the new suite. And that was my first big project at Facebook. And it was incredible to me how powerful these techniques were compared to what I had thought from uh, you know my memories from college. And then it sort of just became apparent that there were any number of product experiences we could enable with this technology. As a fellow angel investor, Jocelyn, you can probably vouch for the fact that there are so many founders and CEOs who know what they know about their business and they're great at it. Um, but sometimes 
they're um, reluctant to embrace the kind of financial controls and and reporting and things that investors and customers need in order to be comfortable. And I presume that's the basis on which you and Johnny got together. Yeah, absolutely. I think as an angel investor, sometimes you are truly the angel money, the pre-venture money, and you encounter founders who don't have a lot of cash, who don't want to spend it on outside help, and who don't find it complicated to manage that small amount of money. But I would say as a VC, you know, by the time I, my minimum check is about a million dollars. So anybody who's raising a seed round for me is, is they're usually raising one to five million dollars. By the time somebody has that kind of cash and by the time they're signing a term sheet with his VC and doing the kind of NBCA style docs, it's time to grow up. It's time to commit to doing your company. And it's not yeah. just a lab experiment anymore. And so at that point, it is it is rarely a difficult conversation to say, hey, you need some financial support. And I would say, I also kind of wonder, David, if we're seeing a sea change right now as well, because frankly, a lot of founders today have never seen anything but a bull market for technology startups. We've had yeah. 10 years of bull market when the wind started to blow the other way and things got tougher. So tell us, if you would, how you and Johnny have worked together, you know, to help make your companies more efficient and, and help them grow and raise more capital. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well we really count on our startups to have a, a strong finance support team. Um, in part because of board meetings and board financials, and in part because of quarterly process that Johnny's all too familiar with that, that, that it runs called Portfolio Review, where what we really want is to just be very intellectually honest with ourselves and look across every company in the portfolio at the same kind of metrics, kind of apples to apples, and be able to sort of talk about the health of the portfolio as a whole. And so just to be able to get standardized financial metrics. And we think those are helpful to the companies too, because again, it's just like, you know, at the doctor's office, knowing your height and weight and blood pressure, it's just a health check, right? And so- on how you're doing. And sometimes uh, sometimes it's too yeah. soon to tell and too early to track these numbers. But in general, we find it really healthy for founders and companies to sort of say in black and white, here's what I plan to do. And here's what I actually did. And, it does, and things are going to change. No VC in their right mind, no angel investor in their right mind should expect that a startup is going to put up a financial, a seed Steve startup is going to put up a financial plan and exactly, you know, hit the bullseye on every step of the way. But by forcing you to externalize those assumptions and then match them up with reality, we have an opportunity to realize, oh, I had these expectations, I had these assumptions that have not proved to be true or that it's been better than that. And so let me readjust my plan, let me course correct. And so just having that quarterly checkpoint, whether it's in the board meeting or those at a portfolio review, to be kind of like, okay, this is what I plan to do, this is what I did. And it's so healthy and productive because it's so easy in an early stage startup, your listeners all know, you are so close to the ground. You're running a million miles an hour. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. It's really helpful on a regular cadence to kind of step back and see the big picture. Right. So, Johnny, tell us, if you would, how you came to found Ruled. The team at Ruled, actually, we've worked together for quite a long time. And so in the opportunity that we had to create the company around about two years ago, Really, we saw that the market uh, for this kind of accounting need, exactly as Jocelyn's describing in our companies, I mean, it's only ever been expanding. Um, and so we were able to put a company together and really go out and target what we did best. We know the service platform. We know how to provide the accounting. So just exactly as Jocelyn's been describing there, you need solid foundations in financial reporting to give you the perspective and a true understanding of where the business is at. But you also need that CFO leadership that comes in on top that helps look at the projections, the modeling, the forecasting, and gives you an ability to look at scenarios. 
and help the CEO to understand what options lay in front of them. And so we had those skill sets and we knew all the platforms out there from a technology standpoint and the way that we can service the customer base. And so the opportunity two years ago, we created a company and it's just been a fantastic growth scale that we've been experiencing since then, obviously through right now. And you know we're going to talk a bit more about AI coming up. But it's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental tectonic shift in the way that accounting is getting done. I think we're, we're perceiving that starting to happen in the future. Jocelyn, it's a crowded marketplace, right? So what made you pick Ruled with so many different choices? You know, I think that there's just something um, crucial about being able to be consistent and reliable when it comes to financials. Like startups are taking risk every day. They've got product risk. They've got market risk. They've got employee risk. They've got all kinds of risks. And this is one thing that just needs to be rock solid. Don't take a risk with this. And so um, just the kind of dependability, reliability, always right, always on, always responsive. It's like the classic, you know, white glove service, the things that make you want to work with the same lawyer over and over again. It's just that kind of certainty. And 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 once you've had it, it's sort of like, why would I take a risk from someone (laughs) unknown when I have a known quantity? Right. Those those relationships are not easy to find, right? Yeah. So... Um, since I have a, an AI expert here, I have to ask you, you know, how do you see AI ultimately, and, and I don't know what that time frame is anymore, but how do you see it ultimately affecting office functions and, and all of this accounting and CFO stuff? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think there's tremendous potential. I actually think accounting is an interesting one because these current breakthroughs that are so good with understanding language have actually made it a little bit worse at math. Like, I don't know if you've played with ChatGPT and you've asked it to, like, add some complicated numbers and it'll get, like, arithmetic wrong. So we've, yeah. if by making it translate, like, if you just, you know, plug that number into a calculator, the calculator would have zero problems, zero AI required. But by imposing, uh, you know, math to English to English to math, back to math, you, uh, you introduce a little wackiness there. So there's certainly have been service companies trying to apply. Um, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that, that, that machine learning and AI cannot automate some of the some of the things that people do manually today. I think they can. Um, but I would say we haven't had the breakthrough there yet, and I'm not sure it's necessarily going to come from natural language processing. I guess I could talk about office work writ large. I think um, I think data entry it will absolutely be able to, to automate some of the really soul-crushing jobs where you're like reading PDFs and sort of copy-pasting you know, text from here to there and like filling in the blank. Or if you've ever as a patient at a doctor's intake form had to fill out a form where you put, they ask you for the same information over and over again, that's going to be a thing of the past. So, you know, I hope a lot of that like really mundane rote stuff goes away. And I hope that for accountants and finance workers, a lot of the rote stuff will be able to go away, that there can be better data quality and checking and and sort of more time for the strategic stuff, for the forecasting, for the what if scenarios. And I think it can really help with those kinds of projections too, with kind of like a sensitivity analysis. I think it's really good at that. I think the time series machine learning stuff, not necessarily the natural language stuff that's big right now, but I think it's pretty good at that. But I will say there's a bunch of kind of um, so-called, you know, technology powered accounting firms that are out there. Some of my startups work with some of them. I haven't yet kind of switched over to preferring them. And, And to be honest, my impression of a lot of them is that today they really represent actually just a bunch of human beings and not that much technology yet. Yep. And so I think it's not yet big, but I think it's coming. And I think that it's just going to be incumbent on people to kind of adopt that technology and to be able to do more and serve more clients with the same number of experts. But I think human expertise will still be needed. Yeah. There's still an analysis angle to this. There's still a service angle to this. But I've always been a believer that that kind of automation with technology, if you look through history, and I don't think AI is any different, that it transforms the work to be done. But in general, you know, 
people get to live higher up the food chain. It's it's a, it's an exoskeleton for the human that, that makes us sort of powerful and more productive. So I may believe that like programming as we know it is done, but I think there'll always be room for people to build new technology products. And I think the same is true with accounting. And, yep. and so I think it really depends on the nature of the office work. But I hope that it means that like the most boring, tedious parts of our jobs go away. That'd be pretty great. <laughs> Jocelyn, I find that very comforting that uh, AI is not going to replace us all and, and that the, the human element is still, still always going to be important. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, I, you know, I don't want to be too much of a Pollyanna about this. I think one thing that really is different from other kind of technology revolutions, you know, did the loom put weavers out of business? Yes. Did it create more, you know, manufacturing jobs in, in fabric and apparel? Yes, by far. Um, but they were different jobs with different skill sets. But I would say that in past generations, as those technology waves have come through and changed the needed skills for a job, um, the technology has approached sort of slowly enough that there could be generational shifts, that people could kind of, that young people would, sit, would sort of look at a field and say, oh, that's shrinking, not growing. I'm going to study something else. And, but that the kind of, there was enough work for people to kind of finish out their careers and retire without having to switch. I think this is coming so fast. You know, some people are going to, you know, find that their skill sets are obsolete within their working life and, um, and they are going to be faced with the decision to retrain, to reskill. I think technology can be part of the solution for that. I think it's like wild that we have an educational system that assumes people need to stop gaining skills at age 18 or age 22. And, and we have to have a theory besides sending people off to full-time schooling about lifelong learning and career development and skills growth. So I, I think that's kind of like a, a societal and policy-oriented issue. I think technology can be part of the solution, can make it affordable to train and skill people up. But um, it's, it's, there's a lot to be done and not enough people working on it, honestly. Yeah, definitely more to do without a doubt. Jocelyn Goldfein, Johnny Walker, thanks so much for joining us today and to talk about what seems to be the hottest topic there is at the moment, which is how AI will shape the future. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Jocelyn. You can find contact information for our guest today at our website, theangelnest.com, where you can also reach me. If you know of a company or an exciting opportunity we should talk about, my email is david at theangelnest.com. I'm David Hemingway. We produce The Angel Nest with help from David Newhoff at the beautiful Art Deco Film Center building just outside of Times Square in New York. Thanks for listening, and here's hoping my fellow angel investors and the founders they support find their next great venture. So long until next time.